Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. You may have seen a recent article in InsideHigherEd.com that began, Wyoming Catholic College has a lot of unusual things about it, each enough to merit a story in itself. Wyoming Catholic is a conservative Catholic college that educates students in the great books and Catholic tradition. It also teaches horsemanship and bans cell phones on campus. I love that. And it turned down federal funding. President Glenn Arbery describes the mission this way. This college is engaged in deep ways with the agony of a culture that has lost its spiritual center. We're adventurous and poetic and deeply Catholic. He likes to cite Dostoevsky in Crime and Punishment. Low ceilings are bad for the soul. The ceilings rise at Wyoming Catholic, which is located in the foothills of the Wind River Mountains, the curriculum centers in the Western tradition. Its Catholic identity builds upon Thomas Aquinas and the magisterium of the Catholic Church and engaging with God in the wilderness. Find out more at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us Lawrence Mead. He is professor of politics and public policy at NYU, an expert on poverty and welfare in the United States. His books include Beyond Entitlement, The Social Obligations of Citizenship, From Prophecy to Charity, How to Help the Poor, and most recently, Burdens of Freedom, Cultural Difference, and American Power, which in fact was the topic of a podcast we did uh, about two months ago. We have him here again because of the response to an essay he wrote recently in the distinguished journal, Society, uh, a leading social science journal based, uh, and the the essay based upon the ideas and research in Burdens of Freedom. Uh, The essay was entitled Poverty and Culture. Welcome, Professor Mead. Well, uh, very good to be here, Mark. Well, uh, you know, just tell us just straight off again, a little bit repeating last time, but if you look at the essay that you wrote, uh, what was the central idea, the central thesis of that essay? The central idea is cultural difference. Uh, The idea that uh, all Americans and all nations are not all alike in their basic psychology. Uh, According to a number of scholars of world cultural differences, There's a significant difference between Western countries like the U.S. and the rest of the world. Uh, In Western countries, the culture is individualist, which means basically that people pursue personal goals. And at the same time, they are moralistic about right and wrong. They believe that right and wrong derive from general principles that apply in all circumstances. Compared to the West, the non-Western world, although it's highly diverse, shares uh, different characteristics. Essentially, it has what is known in the research as a more collectivist uh, mentality, where most people don't pursue personal goals. Rather, they adjust to the outside world. They, they tend to do what other people expect them to do, rather than to pursue their own ends. Uh, and also, the moral structure is different. It's based mostly on conformity to the external expectations of other people, including government and tradition and the family and so on. Uh, And those differences, I argue in the book, are essential reasons why the Western world has been more powerful, more rich uh, than the rest of the world. But it also has shortcomings, which reflect the nature of Western culture. So the non-West is valuable also. And uh, but we can use the the contrast between these 
these worldviews to understand some of our own problems today, which derive from the fact that America is no longer in a world where the most important considerations are within the West. Rather, it has to deal with groups internally and also countries externally, which are non-Western, which don't have the temperament of the West. And because we don't understand that, we often make mistakes. And in the article, what I did was pull out a part of that argument having to do with long-term poverty. And I made the case that the main reason why we have long-term poverty in America is because those groups that are most heavily poor, especially blacks, Native Americans, and also Hispanics, these groups derive from the non-Western world. So they don't naturally have the attitudes of the West, the interdriven moralism of the West. They're much more cautious. They tend to think of life in terms of survival rather than in terms of achievement. And they're more conformist in terms of what they think right and wrong is. So those differences, I think, are major reasons why these groups have had a hard time in America. And I thus question the orthodoxy, which is that they have a hard time only because white America is racist about them. That is the dominant view today in the academic world. It's highly improbable. There's not any good evidence that America is systematically racist. That really isn't true as far as we can tell. The problems actually are that these groups uh, are approaching life in a way that is out of sync with the rest of America. And therefore, my central recommendation is that they should become more individualist. They should become more assertive. They should take more responsibility for themselves, as the Western world traditionally has done. But that's very controversial because it seems to say it questions the basic orthodoxy of the current anti-racism movement, which is all the problems of blacks are due to white racism. I don't agree with that. So the article which made this uh, view of poverty uh, was suddenly picked up and attacked by scores of people who've been writing the emails uh, and uh, very hostile emails, most of them saying that the argument is racist and so on. It's not racist at all. It's based on cultural difference. There's no association. And, and what, I, what I was going to say, I mean, b- before we get to the response, uh, you, I mean, you mentioned it's questioning the orthodoxy, but just the basic premise of cultural difference, you don't see as entirely radical or wholly new, correct? Oh, I, I think it, I really do think it is new. Now, the differences are not new. They've been there for, for eons, for thousands of years. They're quite longstanding, but they've never been appreciated in American thinking because Americans tend to think of their country as a universal nation that somehow has something to say to the rest of the world. And we don't appreciate to what extent our whole society depends upon an individualist culture. We take that for granted. And we don't realize how hard that is for people who come from the non-Western world. So my conclusion isn't that these groups are actually are having an easy time. On the contrary, they have a very hard time. But it isn't due to racism. It's due to the basic conflict from in the way that they view life compared to how the mainstream views life, which is very much in an individualist way. So that's the difference we need to focus on. What happened? I mean, I mean the, the article went through society published in society it went through a peer review process it it was it was read and you you told me before we started talking you've published in society many times before yes yeah oh yeah this this is like the fifth or sixth article that i published in society using this basic idea of cultural difference the articles the other articles address somewhat different issues one was about the politics of trump another was about immigration 
there were several different topics, but they all made use of this idea of cultural difference. And nobody noticed. It didn't seem to get a large reaction. Uh, and this time... Did, did you get readers' reports, readers' responses to this submission? They just... See, society, I, I'm, I frankly don't understand the readership of society. In this case, it seems to be enormous. A huge number of people have reacted to the article. But the earlier articles didn't get much of a reaction. And I can't explain that. They were basically similar in their argument. Uh, I think the difference is that the politics has changed. Since those articles were written, the anti-racism movement, the Black Lives Matter movement has come to the fore and made everyone more sensitive to these questions. So now the argument that I make in this, this recent article is now objectionable because it seems to say that blacks and other minorities who are heavily poor are somehow different from other Americans. And people hear that as a racist argument, but it isn't. It's about cultural difference, not about race. And in the article, I actually emphasize that part of black America has actually become individualist. They have joined the mainstream. That's the black middle class. They're doing quite well. And the reason is they have taken on board the burdens of freedom and given up the very different burdens of the non-Western world. And that's what I recommend for the rest of black America. That's what they should do. They should become more assertive, more inner-driven, more moralistic. These are the features that allow mainstream America to get ahead. And, that, and those are the features that have made America a great and powerful nation. And we can't minimize that. We can't deny that. We can't claim that all cultures are alike. No, they're not. They have different strengths and weaknesses. And the, the Western world has weaknesses too. It's not a universal culture. It's not for everyone. And we have to recognize how hard that is for people coming from the non-Western world. But we shouldn't blame it on white racism. Well, would, you, would, you, would, you, would you call this basically a Protestant work ethic? That's only part of it. Uh, it's, it's more that it's the inner driven quality that people settle on their own goals and they go out and try to change the world to correspond to their goals. The Protestant work ethic is a form of that, but that implies that Protestants work harder than other people. I'm not, I'm not saying that. People in the non-Western world also work hard, but the work has a different quality. It's externally imposed. It's, the goal is survival. It's getting through the day. It tends not to be long-sighted. It tends not to look ahead, to plan, to achieve something that's more substantial. For that, you need a different psychology. You have to be able to organize your life around a mission. That's what individualists do, not only Protestants, but Catholics and other people. Uh, and it's not confined to white people. This is not a white psychology. On the contrary, it can, it can be adopted and has been adopted by people from many different racial backgrounds. So this is not about race. Yeah. Okay. Now, what was your first indication uh, that this was sparking a controversy? I began to get hostile emails from various readers, mostly saying simply this is a racist argument and you shouldn't be making it and it ought to be withdrawn by the journal. And indeed, it was finally withdrawn by the journal. Uh, and uh, also that I should be fired by NYU. I mean, that, that was extremely hostile. And, and yet I can think of only, and there must have been a hundred responses like this. I've kept the list of all of them. And the list is uh, 40, is now over 30 pages long of all the things people have told me. Mostly very hostile. And, and are they academics who responded mostly? No, well, they are, they are in the sense that the people writing usually have some basis in the academic world. A lot of them are graduate students, even medical students, 
nursing students, people in graduate programs are the ones who come most frequently to mind. They're not usually uh, senior academics. I had just a couple from people. There was a woman sociologist at Stanford, uh, another person, I think, North Carolina. Um, They're usually not senior academics, and, and I can't think of a single one that I've ever heard of. In other words, these are not people that are prominent in the world that I've been spending my research time in for the last 40 years, which is how to deal with poverty and welfare. I have not encountered these people. And most of what they say is not what I wrote. They think the argument is racist when it isn't. Uh, They also think that I'm writing about them, that is about middle-class people like themselves. No, I'm not writing about them. I'm not saying that they're different. It's the long-term poor that are different. It's hard for blacks who've made it in the world uh, to appreciate that I'm not writing about them. I'm writing about poor people who have this different psychology. Successful black people tend to be just like you and me. They're inner-driven overachievers. That's how we got where we are. There are a lot of black people like that. It, it was the, it was just very basic, the bare challenge to the exclusive racism explanation for, for economic differences. That was it. Basically, that's right. Now, I didn't ever say in the article or the book explicitly that this argument trashes the theory of white racism. I don't say that in so many words, but it obviously implies that. If you say that cultural difference is the reason for our major differences here in America, then you are saying that racism is not the main reason. And and indeed, that's what most Americans believe. Most Americans do not think that they are racist. They don't think that society is the same as it was 100 years ago, let alone 200 years ago. Uh, the statements by the anti-racist theorists people like Nicole Hannah-Jones, for example, that this is a racist country that hasn't changed since the founding. I mean, most Americans simply repudiate that. They don't believe that. This country has changed fundamentally since, since the founding. On the question of race, I mean, the Civil War was an enormous bloodbath. 600 people, 600,000 people died to abolish slavery. I mean, that, that's not a slight matter. And the Civil Rights Movement was another radical change in, in the nature of the society. And today, we have systematic preferences for minorities across the government and the nonprofit sector. All white people know this. All white people have had their rights infringed in order to provide preferences for these outgroups. I'm not necessarily opposed to that, but it, it, it makes, makes it impl- implausible to say that traditional white racism is the reason for black problems. Rather, the problem is that the reason is that the black poor are still construing life as it was in Africa and then in slavery and under Jim Crow. They've been in another world until they came north from the south and and, and settled in northern cities, which were thoroughly individualist in temperament. Only then did they really had to adjust to an individualist temperament. And they've had a very hard time doing that. And it isn't because people are racist, it's because they're competitive. I mean, this is a highly competitive country. And the groups that have made it in America tend to be highly individualist. They came from Europe. They've become more that way since settling in America. They're tough competitors. I see this in class. I mean, I have very, very good students at NYU. You have them too. And they are extremely formidable. It isn't easy to get ahead in this country. And that's without any racism at all. So that's what blacks are up against. And not saying that they can't do it. Many have done it but they have to accept the burdens of freedom. They have to see that they are an individual 
pursuing their own goals, and they have to do what that requires. Now, I, had, I, I saw a statement issued by seven administrators, mostly deans. Uh, I think there was one diversity officer. Uh, that It was a short statement, but it, it condemned your article for, quote, causing great distress within our community. They, they, didn't, they didn't say anything specific. That was it. What were they talking about? I think what they're saying is that people from minority backgrounds among NYU students feel offended by an argument that says that their original culture is not adapted to America. That's a hard lesson. And I'm afraid that is really true. But that doesn't mean that I'm talking about them. Again, this is about the poor, not about the middle class. Students who get to NYU are generally highly capable. They wouldn't be here otherwise. I have students like this in my classes, blacks, Hispanics, Asians. They're all capable, but they're coming from a different place from the students who came from Europe. They generally have more adaptation to the university. They have to get used to the idea that you have to make an argument. You have to, you have to come up with evidence and logic. You can't just say something that feels good. You can't say something with a political agenda. It may have a political agenda, may have political implication, but you have to make your case. And that's hard for people from the non-Western world where there's generally very high deference to authority. People don't want to challenge people in authority. And in America, just the opposite. Our culture actually promotes challenges to authority. And that's certainly true in the academic world. I love it when students take me on, when they question my arguments. Those are usually the best students in the class. And, and that, is, that is individualist. That is precisely what you have to do. You have to assert yourself and make your own case. And that involves taking risks. You have to stick your neck out. Well, the, the, the letter, the statement issued by the administrators stated their, their most strongest judgment was that your article was a list of, quote, false, prejudicial, and stigmatizing assertions about the culture of communities of color in the United States. Now, and again, they didn't say anything specific. They didn't cite anything in particular that you said. And I think what you've been explaining here is, no, I'm talking about poor communities, first of all. It's not all communities of, of color. But, you know, let's go into the motivation here. Uh, is this statement just a kind of a kind of liberal damage control? You know, let's just you know we don't want to get people get upset and and you're you're an easy target. Well, what is going on behind? Yeah, them? I think it. I think the concern is primarily that they will face attacks by their own students, especially black students, if they don't say something like this. Uh, all university administrations are at risk of demonstrations by blacks who essentially refuse to accept the basis of the university. Essentially, they don't think they should have to argue and compete and so on and so on. That's hard for them. So they're easily, they, they tend to go over to an idea that this is all a racist conspiracy. Again, this isn't about ability. These are often very capable people, but they don't, they're not comfortable with open argument about an issue like this. And, and the same for Hispanics. Well, they're generally less assertive, but the issue is quite similar. And in fact, the similarity is one of the basic arguments I make in the book and the article about uh, the nature of the problem. If, in fact, it was all white racism, it would be concentrated only on blacks. 
But actually, Hispanics have very similar problems. And Asians do, too, in ways that are less visible. And for all, those, all these groups, the hard thing is coming to terms with individualism. That is really difficult. And they would have a hard time, even if there were no racism at all. Again, I'm not saying there's no racism, but the basic idea here is of cultural difference. If you come at the world as, as hostile to you and as interested only in keeping you down, then you're not going to seize your opportunities. You're going to face adversity, to be sure, competition, criticism, all that. But you still have a chance to get ahead because this society found it on principles of equal opportunity. And those, those, those principles assume an individualist culture. See, that's the assumption we usually don't see. We take that for granted, but we shouldn't. We have to realize this is an exceptional nation. It, it's the most strongly individualist country in the world, according to the research. And it's that temperament that made the country so powerful because it caused a whole lot of people to set out to improve things, to invent things, to get ahead, to make money, to change society in various ways, also reform movements of various kinds. Those are all driven by the moralism of the individualist temperament. And that is a great, great thing. But we're not seeing that in general from the heavily black groups, the heavily poor groups, rather. Uh, they, including blacks, Hispanics, Native Americans, Asians too, are much less assertive in general than the, the, than the white groups that came from Europe. And what's significant isn't that they're white, it's that they came from Europe and they brought with them this individualist culture. You know, you know, do, do... Do, do you remember, Larry, when, you know, during the civil rights movement and after, the great sin was, quote, stereotyping. That is, judging an individual on group assumptions. And we, we've turned that upside down, haven't we? Uh, the multiculturalism is, you, you begin with your group identity, and, and th th that, that's sort of the ground of your being. Uh, and and you're, you're saying that this is actually... A, a self-defeating assumption for a person to make in American society. In, in America. Now, now the, the argument against generalization is one that some of my critics also make. They say this article or the book is based upon these wild generalizations about whole groups of people. Now, I say in the book, I'm very careful to say that they don't, not all generalizations apply to every individual, but the research I'm drawing upon is based on generalizations. Scholars have done things like surveying populations to find out their attitudes on these things. And there are these clear differences by group. They're not for every case. No, so some people will differ. There'll be individualists who come from the non-Western groups, and they'll be, and indeed today, there are, there are quite a few uh, lesser educated white people who are abandoning an individual's lifestyle and going over to a lifestyle of, of survival. A lot of them are voting for Trump. So the, there's no, nothing rigidly connects race to culture. Uh, and it's, the generalizations, however, are valid. They are true in general. And unless you make generalizations, then you can't say anything about anything. And you end up making the orthodox assumption of that everyone's the same. <laughs> of, of course. No, of everyone course. isn't the same. Well, now, uh, a few days after that statement by NYU, the editors of Society retracted your article. They, they actually gave, uh, they implied a reason being that the article didn't undergo proper editorial review, but what was the real reason that they, that they took this I, step? I think, I think what happened there, I had several communications with Jonathan Imber, the editor, and also with uh, uh, his superior, someone at, in the Springer uh, Journal 
publication system. And essentially, they criticized the article not because it was wrong substantively, but because the review, they say, was somehow flawed. And that might be true. I don't know how the article was reviewed internally. Uh, that article and the others that I sent that were published earlier by society, I don't know how they were, were reviewed. I don't know whether there was an external review. Uh, I just know that Jonathan Imber was, was strongly supportive, and he believed these articles uh, should, be, should be heard. He didn't necessarily agree with the argument, but he thought it should be considered and there should be discussion. And indeed, in Imber's in initial plan for the article, and, the, and that issue of the journal, there was supposed to be a dialogue between the article and a couple of other of outside readers who would, who would respond to it. This was what I was what, what I was thinking. Why not have a forum and bring in your most ferocious critics to make arguments against it? Why didn't they do Why didn't they do that? I I think that's what John would have liked to do, but the uh, the sentiment was simply overwhelmingly negative. And, and the uh, journal, they, they basically said, we can't continue. We have to recognize that our readers are opposed. And this, this is something, a reason to reconsider. They don't, they didn't. I mean, I think what they could have done, and I was open to this, is edit the article in ways to make it clearer what it was saying uh, so as to reassure people. In particular, the article uh, doesn't say in so many words, although the book certainly says, but this is not a racial argument. It's about cultural difference. There's no necessary association with race at all. So this is not a backhanded racist argument against certain minorities. That really isn't the goal. That isn't what I'm saying here. I could have said that more firmly. I was ready to edit the article, but it was overtaken by events. It wasn't Imber that decided this. It was really his superiors at Springer. Uh, they simply said, uh, and the argument they gave, as you say, is that the editorial process was somehow flawed. They didn't say that the article was flawed. And so the, pro the proper thing would have been just what you suggest, namely to have a special issue in which this issue would be canvassed. But they're afraid. Essentially, it's become uh, intolerable to question the, the uh, orthodoxy of the anti-racism movement. Has, has all this surprised you? Yes, uh, given the fact that the earlier articles didn't get the same notice, and indeed my book has, been, has received only two reviews so far, uh, both long, thorough, and respectful, and one of them really very, very positive. There's been almost no attention paid to the book, and I, I, I think that's an effort to suppress it. I think the establishment is really uncomfortable with this idea of cultural difference. It's never been said before. No one has ever written this before. It should have been written decades ago. It should have been obvious that this was a major factor in American social problems. Also about immigration, another thing which I spent a lot of time on. That's not immediately an issue in this article, but it was an earlier article, and, and for some reason, people just didn't react. So the importance of cultural difference has been there all along, and, but people didn't notice it, or they were simply afraid because they were afraid of getting a reaction like this. No, well, you know, my temperament is not to not to not tell the thing that I believe to be true. No, I say the thing I believe to be true. See, what, what changed my own views on this? I mean, I've certainly had suspicions about cultural difference for a long time, but it was when I discovered the, the world culture's research that I found support for that. And, and there's some, there are about a dozen authors, prominent, prominent authors in that literature, and they all say the same thing. They all say that there's a basic difference between the West and the non-West. 
Well, uh, uh, Richard Nisbet, for example, the author of The Geography of Thought, he's simply one of the more visible people. Uh, I emailed him about this, and he said to me, essentially, it's the West against the rest. The West against the rest. The West is the only strongly individualist culture. And that's an amazing statement. And several other historians concluded from this that that is the reason why the West came to dominate the world. It wasn't something else. It wasn't resources. It wasn't geographical position. It wasn't religion per se. It was the temperament, this, this inner-driven, ambitious temperament where we try to remake the world to correspond to our own ideas. That is the West. That is the essence of Western culture. doesn't mean it doesn't have weaknesses. It certainly does. And the non-West has, has real strengths. And I emphasize that in my book. I said that's why one reason why we want a multi- multicultural society. I don't want everyone to be an individualist in the sense they don't understand other cultures. No, we need to under, we need to have diversity. However, we also need to, have, to preserve an individualist culture. We shouldn't just be indifferent to it and say that it's oppressive or 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 it causes problems with immigration. No, you can't say that because this culture is what made America rich and powerful. We can't just give that up. We can't abandon individualism, which is where we're, that's the way we're going. Larry, Larry, has anyone come out publicly in defense of you? No. Uh, what, what's happened in the, in the academic, I've given three talks to predominantly expert, mostly liberal, not necessarily liberal, but expert people who know about poverty and welfare and who I talked to. This one talk was in Washington before the book was published. Another one was at a conference uh, a year ago in May, just as the book was coming out. And then I also did a, a discussion with a highly liberal group in Boston where, where I've had connections in the past. So these were, these are the only occasions where I've faced an audience of peers, let's put it that way. And the first two cases, they didn't really criticize what I said. They simply said, this is improper. You shouldn't say this. You're not allowed to say something like this because it's too radical and too upsetting to people. They didn't say it was wrong. They just said it's an argument you shouldn't make. Uh, and, and the third case, the discussion group in Boston, there they said, basically they reaffirmed the orthodoxy that all black problems are due to white racism. So the concern, they didn't really address the argument about cultural difference. Rather, they insisted on the orthodoxy that white racism is basically the problem that blacks have in this country. And they doubled down on that in spite of the evidence I offered to the contrary. So I think, I think we have to say the establishment is in denial here. They don't want to embrace this argument. They don't want to have anyone talk about it. They don't want to have anyone come uh, They don't want anyone to say, uh, oh, gee, uh, we have to address this, or uh, this is an argument against the orthodoxy. And especially no think tank in Washington, even those with which I'm closely associated, has been willing to put on a session about this book. Uh, and no university except a couple of one class that I spoke to at Georgetown. That was the only time that was a small class in their Washington program. That's the only strictly academic session that I've opportunity that I've had. Basically, universities don't want me to come by and give a talk about this. They, they, they view this as as dangerous. And, and indeed, it is dangerous. Here's, you know, f- final question. Uh Denial, if, 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 if we've got denial of a, a reality that 
you see is empirically demonstrable, denial doesn't work for, certainly not in the long term. It can work in the short term. Where, where is this headed? What is going to happen? Uh, well, I, I wish I believed that I think the best thing about this controversy is it may break down some of the denial. I mean, after the tide of critical, critical reactions to the article, I began to get positive reactions. And over the last week, for example, probably the majority of the reactions have actually been positive. People say the argument is persuasive. It certainly should be heard. We're upset that there's an effort to suppress this argument. Uh, and the other thing is, I mentioned this before, there's no serious criticism here. Uh, there isn't anyone who is really willing to grapple with it, the basic argument that I make. One recent comment was that one of the many scholars of world cultural differences has been subject to criticism. Well, I wasn't aware of that criticism. Uh, does that mean the argument is bogus? Hardly, because this guy is one of a dozen or more scholars who basically agree about the contrast I'm making between the West and the non-West. But I haven't seen criticism like that. I haven't, I haven't had people saying, oh, gee, so-and-so said this in the past and it was thoroughly debunked. No, they haven't said this in the past. This is a genuinely new argument. And it doesn't mean the evidence is somewhat older. Some of the scholars that I talk about, they go back to Hegel in the 19th century. So these, this is not new evidence, but it has not been made into an argument about the American problem. And it should be. This clearly is a major problem we face. We're not in a world like ourselves. America is not a, a typical nation. On the contrary, it's a very peculiar nation. And that is what made us rich and powerful, but it means we have other problems. And it means we can't assume everybody we're dealing with is like us. That simply isn't true. And if, if it's groups internal of the society, like immigrants, like the minorities, they, in fact, have to make effort to become more individualist. That's what they have to do to feel at home in this country. And we're, one thing we're not going to do is abandon an individualist culture so that blacks and Hispanics and the other groups can feel more comfortable. We're not going to do that. That would be to shoot ourselves in the foot. I mean, this culture has made us a great and powerful nation. We can't just abandon that, but we can become more sensitive to differences. And we, come, we can appreciate cultures that are not Western, provided that the, the basic temperament of the country remains individualist. That's basically my goal. Professor Lawrence Mead, thank you for joining us. Okay, Mark. Uh, thanks very much. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.